Good morning. <laughs> this is great. Better than uh, last week. <laughs> that, was a, that was a major pivot. So today begins our foray or journey into one of the most significant teachings that Jesus gave. And we should sit up with that because that's who we follow as Christians. And the church for some time, I don't know how long, but it's in just about every different version of the Bible. They entitle this, this teaching of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. You'll find it in, there's three chapters in Matthew that covers it, five, six, and seven. And also Luke's gospel carries a shortened version of it in chapter six, the latter half of it. And uh, the teaching begins with what we call the Beatitudes, and uh, before jumping into that, there needs to be some understanding of how to approach the Beatitudes, but also how to understand the Beatitudes, how it goes. Now, but even before we begin there, I was really pressed by the Holy Spirit this week to fill people in on expectations. And so there, there's a little, on the ninth, I called it the, the preface, and this week would probably be, you know, you'd, it's more like an introduction. And I've entitled this, Before We Begin, There's Something That You Should Know. And uh, where I'm going to be taking you today is, is to a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And the reason I really feel the Holy Spirit is saying this is directing, directing the church throughout I, probably the globe, for sure North America, but into the whole realm of what does it really mean to be a Christian, what does it mean to be a disciple, is things that have been exposed, and uh, just a, there's just, call it a shake, I wouldn't call it a shaking so much as a realignment that the Lord is just wanting to do with us. Because Jesus' words, one of the things is, do we really take Jesus' words seriously? Do we really take them to heart? I have, I've had to wrestle with that. I continue to wrestle with that. Do we really take his words seriously? Do we take them to heart? For instance, we can read books. I'm, and we, we are voracious readers in our culture. And there's books galore. Just got to go on, you know, any of the... Uh, e-reader type books, and there's thousands upon thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of books you can buy, and uh, we read them, and they're good information. But depending on why you're reading it depends on, on what information you take in. For example, I could give you a book on skydiving, tell you to read it, and you'd read it, you might enjoy it, pick up some, you know, some funny stories, anecdotes and that about people who have been jumping out of airplanes and that. If I gave you the book and said, here, I want you to read this book on skydiving because next Saturday morning, you're going up in a plane and we're pushing you out. I guarantee that you would read that book totally differently, that now that book would have your attention. Your highlighter would be out, you would have a notepad making notes, and you'd be really paying attention because you know Saturday morning's coming, <laughs> and you're going out. And it makes a difference when you know there's, there's, some, there's some skin in the game here when you read something. And I believe, I'm convinced that we are to read scripture, but read especially the gospels, the teachings of Jesus with the attitude that we have skin in the game here, that we really need to pay attention to what Jesus is calling us to. 
because it's more than just what we do here on a Sunday morning. It's way more than that. It's how we live our lives throughout the week and, and encounter people. So let's, let's begin. I want to take you into Ephesians, and I want you to understand something about Paul and all the writers, all the New Testament writers. They have a, when they, when they wrote a letter, there was a reason they were writing a letter, and there was something they wanted to convey to that church. It, wa- it wasn't just to address issues, but it was again to almost reset them, bring them back to what is this all about. And in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesians, there is one thing Paul is driving home at. And he talks about that at the time, the reality was the Jewish people saw themselves as set apart from the rest of the world. And there was this hostility. And they called the rest of the world the Gentiles. And there was, so you would hear this language, you don't want to be like the Gentiles or don't want to be like the rest of the world. And Paul wants to point out what Christ actually did that he brought the two together to become one. That this bringing together of the Jewish people and the Gentiles into all of that becomes the body of Christ now is an amazing thing. And you, how you can think of it is it's like the work that Christ did is like when you, if you take two walls, bring them together at right angles to each other, where they join there, In a building, that's a thing that the stone that goes there is the cornerstone. It ties the two together. That's what Paul alludes to in Ephesians, that he says, it is amazing because in their, in Paul's culture, in Paul's mind, he grew up a Jewish person, right? Trained in the Jewish way. He knew Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy numbers, or I almost, I did mess it up. That's okay. Um, he knew that by heart. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And the fact that what God did, bringing the Jew and the Gentile together, blew Paul's mind. And so as you go into chapter 3, Paul begins with, therefore, when I think about these things, and he talks about, I I fall to my knees, and he prays for the church in Ephesus, that they would know God, know the power of God, but more than anything, know God's love for them, how wide, how deep, how high, how long it is. And just, he he prays, and this just comes, flows from Paul's heart, and he prays, and and he ends that third chapter, and Paul didn't have chapters in his letters, by the way, it was just a letter. And Paul says, you know, Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, right? And what Paul was thinking about was this thing of bringing the Jews and the Gentiles as one people under God to Paul was unimaginable. That couldn't happen. How could that ever happen? But God did it. And Paul was just moved by that. And then he moves into four. And that's where we're going to go today is into four. And four, at the beginning there, Paul writes these words. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Now, many times when I read, I'll personalize it as I'm, as I'm reading it. Therefore, if Paul was writing to me, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, Scott, to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you, Scott, have been called by God. But I want you to understand something. That is for every person who is a follower of Jesus, that you have been called 
by God because, and, and Paul points out, it's God that has called you. It's a reminder that has nothing to do with me, what I've done. It's everything to do with God. And Paul pointed that out in chapter two when he said the words, God saved you by his grace and when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. It's all God. We didn't go knocking on God's door asking God to let's, let's make up here. God pursued us. God has been, is always pursuing humanity for humanity to come to him. And, and that's the calling that is on your life that God has called you into real life. And we are called to live into that calling. Now, to understand this, to put, because illustrations can sometimes give traction to what, to some of the words here. But this whole idea of that we're called to live into this calling, that's what we're called to live into it. What does that look like? It looks like you think of major league sports. Okay, professional sports. They all have farm teams. And every year they have a draft where they bring up people from the AAA or whatever to bring them up into the major leagues. And that's a big deal, especially for the ones who are wanting to make it to the major leagues. And so it's a, it's a full-on huge event that takes place. And what they do is the, a team will announce, we are calling up so-and-so. And you see there's eventually a picture. They're wearing the team jersey, smile, maybe mom and dad around them because they poured their lives into you know, the journey that their kid has been on. And it's a big deal. But there's a sense you have no, there's, don't kid yourself. There's a sense for that person who puts that jersey on that it's now, I'm, a, I'm in the major leagues now. There's this expectation that you better perform. There is. <laughs> Because they can easily send you back down, right? But there's this expectation. And the person, there's just this automatic feeling that to live into that. I'm going to, I am this now. I can be this now. I'm professional, right? It's a big deal. And that's what, what Paul is talking about, that to, you know, lead your life worthy of that calling. And there's an expectation for the players, how they live their lives, that they're there on the team. And then Paul goes on in, in the fourth chapter there, just explaining, just laying out some of what it means, what does that life look like? And he says, you know, he, that we'll always be humble, always gentle, always patient with each other, making, what does he say here? Making allowance for each other's faults. That to me is huge. That means there's a buffer. There's a buffer around every person, eh? Every person that I'm going to have faults, you're going to have faults, and we make room for that. We don't quickly pounce on one another, Paul is calling us. And then this whole thing with how God has brought the Jew and the Gentile together, this oneness that is there, Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit, guys. Do everything you can, right? And, and bind yourselves with peace. And he goes on that there is, you know, one body. He says, one spirit, one glorious hope for the future, one Lord, one faith, uh, one baptism, one God, right? There's this oneness that's there. And then Paul breaks from there and goes, but the diversity in the body is amazing for God has given each one 
gifts, a gift. He's given each one a gift. We're different, but we're one. We're united in the spirit. And he lays out the gifts. He says the gifts are, you know, the apostle, the the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, teacher. These are the gifts God has given to the church for one purpose only. And that purpose is to equip God's people to be the church, to do the work and, and build up the church of Christ. That's what he says their responsibility is. Then he says these words. He says, this will continue until we come to such unity. There's that unity, that oneness again that Paul is circling around. Knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And I want you to pay attention to those words because they play an important part in how we approach Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And then he goes on, don't be like little kids, immature, you know, who get pulled by this saying or that, you know, they're pulled all over the place, right? He said, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way. It's everything. And more like growing more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. Hey, by the way, so the church, it's not our church. It's Jesus. It's his church. It's his body. And so we come as be part of that body. We listen to the head. We walk in line with what the head is directing. That's what Paul is getting at here, right? And then then he goes on to say that he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Each part does its special work. It helps the other parts grow. And uh, it's, it's this whole thing. It's like the ecosystem. You know, if you... You know, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever thought, but when I've been out in the bush and getting eaten by mosquitoes and deer fly and everything else, it's almost like, I wish God you could just remove them <laughs> completely. <laughs> like, what? make them go away. Because like, they're not going to be in heaven, clearly, right? <laughs> you know, but biologists will tell you that if you take them out, it affects a lot of other things. And... The church is like that. We need all the different gifts in the church because together when we come around, the whole body grows together and it's beautiful. And then Paul goes on that, you know, he's saying, don't live like the Gentiles anymore or like the rest of the world. And he uses the word in the version I use, the New Living Translation, he uses the words, they're hopelessly confused. And when I read that, I was like, amen, brother. (laughs) Yeah, I look at the world, it's like, boy, are we ever hopelessly confused when I see all the world leaders at each other and everybody wanting to do their own thing. And it's just like, wow, a little bit of chaos out there. But he says, that's not what we do because Paul says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. And know this from Paul, Peter, James, John, Jude, they always push us back to Christ. They're always pushing back to Christ. And he says, that's not what you learned about Christ. And he says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. And he says this, he says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Now to understand, to get an idea of what that means, I'll use something from my life. When I knew back in my 40s that I needed to shift how I 
treated myself physically, especially with what I ate. Uh, one of the pieces of advice I read, and I, I read it many places, was you need to go through your house and find all that food that you should not be eating, bag it, and either give it to somebody or throw it away. You can't have it in your house. Because if you have it in your house, you're going to be tempted to eat it again. When Paul says, throw off your old sinful nature, he's saying, go through your, the house of your life, bag all that stuff that you, that's going to tempt you, and get rid of it. That's what Paul's saying here. Because had I left the stuff in the house, I would have gone right back to it. I had to get rid of it and, and toss it. And Paul goes on to say, he says, instead, let the spirit, now this is the hard part. This is the hardest part in following Christ. Let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. That's hard. That's hard. I I challenge you at some point in your journey to go before Jesus And to say, Jesus, I want you to take inventory of my thoughts and my attitudes. And you have freedom to point out anything, anything in my life that you don't like. You can challenge it. Because I assure you, the Holy Spirit will. (laughs) You let the Holy Spirit do that, the Holy Spirit will. Gently. You won't be condemned, but we'll just point things out. That, man, how do I get rid of that thought? How do I get, you know, those thoughts that just go round and round and round and round in your head, you know? Hardest thing, hardest thing. And Paul tells us, put on your new nature, created to be like God. As you walk, as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount, Christ is showing us the new nature. Because our goal is to be like God. That's the goal. That's what Paul is calling us to. And then he just goes on, he makes a list. He says, what will it look like? We are people that tell the truth. We tell the truth in everything we say, right? He says, we watch our anger. Because if you, if you just let your rage go, if you let your temper fly, he says, remember, when you do that, you give the devil a foothold. And if you've done rock climbing, you know what a foothold is. It helps you just get up a little closer. And it just gives the devil that little foothold in your life. He goes on to say, we are generous people. Because God is generous. He goes on to say, and this is interesting, he says, we don't use foul and abusive language and harsh language. Why? Have you ever wondered why Paul says that? I'll tell you why. Christ, God, is all about what? life, right? Life. What did Jesus say he came to do? To give us life and give it to the full, right? We are to be people who give life in our speech. Our words need to encourage and help others grow and fill up hearts. Encourage means give a full heart, right? It's a full heart. When we discourage other people, we sort of suck joy out of them. I don't know if you've ever had anybody say anything to you and it just feels like... It's gone, right? And it's like, well, that was a bad encounter with a person, right? And you just come away like feeling like, well, no, we're not, we don't do that. We are life givers. And that just is not just what comes out of here, it's what we type on here in our social media feeds, what we post. Ask the question 
Does it bring life? That's a good question to ask. Because what Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, he says, instead, what are we? We're kind. This is Jesus, right? He's, he's painting a picture of Jesus here, what we're aiming for. We're kind, we're tenderhearted, and we're forgiving of one another. It's what we do. It's just what we do. It's just who we are. We saw that on the video for Urban Hope. What was Chris saying? He comes here because why? When he comes into Urban Hope, he knows he's just accepted. He's loved. He's not judged. He's just loved on. That's why he comes. That's being Christ. What's Chris encountering? He's encountering Jesus through us. That's what he's encountering. It's amazing, actually. That's the end of chapter four. Generally, I don't know what you're like, I would stop at the end of the chapter, thinking that's okay, the next chapter will be a new topic. (laughs) No, Paul hasn't stopped there, actually. Paul goes into chapter five with these words here. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. When you go through the Sermon on the Mount, guys, we are called to follow the examples of Christ. Really, we are. And Paul says we do this because he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. When people encounter me, am I a pleasing aroma or do I stink? (laughs) I hope I'm a pleasing aroma, I hope. But that's the goal. That's the goal for us. So before we begin, there's something you should know, a few things you should know. First thing is this, as we go into the Sermon on the Mount, know this, there is a calling on your life. God has called you. If you're a follower or if you're not, if you're listening, if you're here, if you're watching, I want you to make no mistake about this. There is a calling on your life. And we are called to live your life in response to that. I am called to live my life in response to that. I like how Brennan Manning puts it in one of his videos. He's passed on now. But I just love a lot of his books. But he says this. He said, quote, I believe that at the end of your life, you'll be asked two questions by God. Did you know that I loved you? And did you live your life in response to my love? And I think Brennan's correct on that. I think at the end of the day, the gospels are conveying God's love to us. And how have we lived our lives in response to that love for us? Need to know this, that living the life that Jesus calls us into is not is not the easy life. Now, I apologize if I or our church 
has conveyed, ever conveyed, that being a follower, life's going to be rosy. Because that's not true. It won't be. I'll explain more later. But I want you to know this. I want you to know this. It's not God who makes it hard. Our enemy, the devil, has sown deception and sin into our world and broke it. We live in that. It's only hard because we have an enemy that has made it hard. It's not God. God came to bring life. God came to show us what life is really like. Now, the other thing too, the attitude we go in with is the understanding that we are lifelong apprentices of Jesus. This journey is lifelong right to the grave. However long that's going to be for me, I, I don't know. But it's a lifelong, we, I never arrive I never arrive. It's always learning. It's always being transformed into, into God's image. It's always allowing God to come and, and change my life. And you need to know we're not passive about this. We are not called to be passive. We're passionate. And we go for the gold. There's not a professional athlete who is just, well, well that's good enough. Because they never would have made it. Anybody chosen to be on an Olympic team, let me tell you something. They never had the attitude of, meh, we'll see what I can do. Not a chance. First of all, the fact that they were even qualified to be on an Olympic team meant they had gold in their sights. They did. They did. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been there because they've gone through practice after practice after practice and who knows what else they've gone through to get there. They're passionate, but we're passionate about this. We go for the gold. We have to. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? If it's the life, we're passionate. We aim for Jesus' standard. We imitate God. We follow the example set by Christ. It's what we want, isn't it? Hope so. It's what I want. And hey, with all the challenges and obstacles we may face by living the Jesus way, there is no better life. There isn't. The Jesus way is the real life. That's why we do it. It's real life. And I think we could borrow the phrase from the Canadian Armed Forces, there's no life like it. <laughs> right? There isn't. There isn't. Anyone tells you differently, <laughs> they're out to lunch. They're out to lunch. There's no life like it. Let me bring it home for you. I had this idea in my head about 10 years ago that, you know what, I'd like to have a goal of where I can do this crazy thing out there called Tough Mudder right? It was an obstacle course race. It was just a goal I set for myself that I'd like to be able to do that now that I was in my 50s at the time. 
And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to aim for 2014 to do it. And so I put a thing out there, you know, if anybody in the church wants to join me, anybody crazy enough, come do it. What it is, it's an obstacle course race. It's muddy. It's a mud race. That's why it's called Tough Mudder. And uh, five people joined us. And it was the absolute worst day you could ever have. It was in Mount St. Louis in the middle of August. It should have been warm. I think the temperature was like 15 degrees. Poured rain the whole time. We had wind. We had thunder. We had to run up the ski hills. Now, I don't know if you've run up a ski hill before, but they're not like any hills around here. Don't compare Mount St. Louis to Chicopee. Not even for a second. But I think we ran up there, I think, six or seven times, maybe eight. I don't know. We crawled in the mud under barbed wire. We went into a tank filled with water and ice cubes, like tons of ice. Unbelievable what we went. It took us about four or five hours. Crazy. Now, you got to ask the question, if that's what it was like, what the heck are you doing? Arms around each other, and you're grinning. We loved it. (laughs) We loved it, didn't we, Rob? (laughs) <laughs> no, come on. Come on, you know you did. Look at, the, look at your face. Your face says, I love it. <laughs> Actually, it got harder because we had to wait for the showers outside, which was just garden hose, cold water. So, so we got to put cold water on cold bodies. Why? Not only did we love it, we signed up right away for the next year. Yes, we're in. We're in for this. Why? Because we encountered something that just did something inside within us. This thing of we faced challenges, but together we did this. We helped each other. And we got through it. And it brought to life the reality of what this term, what's called synergy, which is the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. That when we do things together, it's amazing what you can get through and how you can accomplish it. And it was beautiful. We realized we all needed help from one another at some point. And different people helping one another, helping people through, because it was miserable at times. At times, feel like giving up, and they say, no, you got this. Come on, you got, let's, let's keep going. Let's keep running. We can do this. <laughs> it was a horrible fantastic day. How can that be? I don't know. But let me tell you something. This life that Jesus calls us into, hard? Going to be hard? It's going to be hard. But together, the community of faith is brilliant. You won't experience anything else like it. And I really do believe that Jesus offers real life to us. Real life. And that's what we get to be part of. So that we can be arm in arm, grinning, all the mud, (laughs) thrilled inside because there's no life like it when following Jesus. No life at all. And so, Lord, right now, I pray for people who maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're going through difficult times right now. I don't know. But I want you to know if we can link arms together, guys, we can do this thing. We can do this thing to be part of a faith community, whatever that looks like, to be, but to be part of it, to do it with others. It's fantastic. So I just invite you 
to say, yes, yes, I'm in, I'm in. So Father, we just thank you. We thank you that we're in this with you. We're together with you, Jesus. And we just say, come Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen.